You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Mazza, Neil and Pete. This week we're looking back at another one of our favourite football sides from the last 30 years. So pick up your Aid, lace up those Predators and go with Four at the Back. Welcome back to Four at the Back. If you listen to our last episode, you'll know that we looked at the Randy Lerner and uh, Daniel Levy eras at Aston Villa and Tottenham, respectively. And so we thought we'd do something a bit different this time again. It's going to be trying to find our best 11 of those two teams. So the best 11 players that we can come up with out of those two uh, out of those two teams. And we've put a limit on it of a five-year period from when they were both in from when Lerner and Levy were in charge of the of those respective clubs and when both were fairly competitive so we're not going to be looking at the final few years of the Lerner era where Villa combusted spectacularly because you know it's just too sad for me and (laughs) it's, it's going to be very easy to pick a side that's mostly Spurs players in that uh in that case because Spurs obviously went on to some really great things in that in that window so we're going to limit it to a five-year period from the start of the 2006-7 season through until the end of 2010-11 so with that said how do you want to do this do you want to start with goalkeeper and move our way through or formation or uh yeah I actually thought of a formation particularly so um let's let's start with goalkeepers and we'll work it out from there cool I mean, goalkeeper's easy enough, right? It's, uh, I, I mean, I would assume so anyway. I mean, given that Aston Villa had a fairly solid goalkeeper throughout this whole period, who right at the end of it, Tottenham actually bought, I think it kind of picks himself that it should be Brad Friedel. Agreed, agreed. I mean, particularly as um, Paul Robinson uh, ends up having uh, an absolute nightmare at the end of his end of his Spurs career. He was very good at the start of his Spurs career, mm. but ended up just having it's a weird thing that happens to uh to england number ones isn't it him joe hart it's just when the end comes it it, it seems to come alarmingly quickly um and it and it did for him and, and friedel um was absolutely absolutely fantastic for, for for both clubs um definition of mr reliable um mm. wasn't he and a great leader to boot yeah, I mean, he organised a rotating uh, back four at Villa that was very rarely that solid between constant transfers and injuries. And Friedel held them together in a way that I don't think many goalkeepers could have done. I suppose I mean, people do forget how good Robinson was early on, but that falls it, those good years fall outside the remit for this. And he sort of went off the boil about three months into the period that we're looking at. So, So the main Spurs keeper for that whole run that would have been realistically the closest competition is probably Heredio Gomes. I mean, I was never a fan of that guy. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like no the only Arsenal fans were, I think. When he went to Watford, he was suddenly good. <laughs> so how did that happen? It's like, uh, it happens so often, doesn't it? Like uh, a goalkeeper 
goes to a lower league. We talked about it with Arsenal, weren't we? You know, when um, when you know Fabianski and uh, Chesney ends up being good keepers, but only after they'd left Arsenal. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Exactly the same. It's um, I don't know if it's a if it's a London thing or what, but uh, it it did actually occur to me that this is the only position where during that period, it, it, Brad Friedel's closest competition probably comes from his own understudy. Even for this, <laughs> it was Brad Guzan. But uh, yeah, it's the one position that I think is fairly safely Villas and then everything else we can have more of a, a conversation about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would uh, I would agree with that. So what you got in defence? This was this is this is quite tricky, I think, because, um, you know, particularly at full because when you think about the, the the good fullbacks that Spurs have, they kind of fall outside this period. <laughs> so you know it becomes it becomes um, a bit tricky because it's like I, I I hated watching Pascal Chimbonda at the time, so I, I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily want him in my team. And um, yeah. I think you know centre half is a bit is a bit easier. Um, so I mean it's 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 just about within the the, the period that I could have uh, Melberg. Um, and I could team up with Ludley King. So that would be a really, a really solid centre-half partnership. Mm. Um, fullbacks, like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty tricky, isn't it? Um, actually kind of thinking about who you would want out of the players that are available. Mm. Yeah, fullback, right back was the hardest position for me in the whole team, I think. Uh, because Villa... <sighs> I don't think Villa had a first choice set right back through that whole period. They they let Mark Delaney go after his injury problems, and he's possibly still the best right back we've had in recent years. So then there was this rotating kind of period. We tried Craig Gardner there. We tried um, who else? We tried Carlos Cuellar there. We tried Luke Young there for a bit. O'Neill went back and forth between playing a centre-half. Olaf Melberg fit in there for quite a lot of his uh, final year or two with us. In the end, I, I, I sort of thought, well, Villa are going to be quite hard to to really go. So I started looking at Tottenham and yours weren't much better. You know, Shaw Luca was kind of looming large in a lot of this. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you've got Asuakoto, you've got Chimbonza, you've got Shaw Luca, and... Um... I mean, Alan Hutton, I guess he played for both clubs. He did. But in the end, <laughs> in the end, I took advantage of a bit of a, not a loophole exactly, but the best right back that we had of the entire period under review was the last, was the five months that we took Kyle Walker on loan. So I don't know if he counts as a Spurs player or a Villa player because he was kind of both technically. Yeah. But, I mean, I was, but, I was looking at him and just thinking, well, he played two games in 9 10. So. <laughs> yeah. Ah, but for 10 11, he uh, played quite, quite a lot for us. And we were gutted when we had to send him back at the end of that season. Um, yeah. So that's, I, I, that's, that's the, the last year of our thing. So I've gone for Kyle Walker and I don't know. I mean, I, you can call him a Tottenham player if you like, because uh, obviously you went I mean, on to much better things with him. With him I, we I, happily take the loophole of uh, of Kyle Walker at right back because it means that I don't have to play Asu Okoto who is probably <laughs> one of my least favourite footballers ever not least because he famously said that he didn't like football and only played it for money yeah I remember that I was like Christ way to endear yourself to uh, 
fans who would uh, pay to have your job. <laughs> now, left back is an interesting one because mm. technically uh, Gareth Bale was still playing left back for most of this period of time. And he's who I've gone with. So it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're, you're essentially sort of saying, well, you know, I mean, funny enough, people forget Gareth Bale was a pretty, pretty decent defender as well. Like you kind yeah. of forget now that, that he's become this, you know, well, he became this attacking phenomenon. But he was a, he was a solid defender as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I tend to be very much for the the obviously defenders defender type. You know, if there was someone who was rock solid, I would put them in ahead of of Bale. But I didn't think there was looking round at, at the other options. It's it seemed to me that I could force someone else into the role. But you know, Gareth Barry, for example, could play left back and it wouldn't be a problem. He played there years before we moved him up into the midfield but in the end I thought well why not Bale I, I couldn't think of a reason to to kind of leave him out the only thing is that you might want to have him further up the field but with the absence of the the shirt there I uh I thought yeah I'll stick Bale in so I've got if you want to if you consider Kyle Walker a Tottenham player rather than a Villa player even though he made more appearances for us in the period then I've gone for a Tottenham fullback pairing of Kyle Walker and Gareth Bale yeah, I guess in the in the period we're we're looking at, you know, Walker is probably more of a Villa player, but you know, the fact that we've got two that play for both clubs, so I mean that's that's pretty good uh, to start with, really. So yeah, I mean similar, I've gone, uh, yeah, Friedel, Walker, Melberg, King, Bale. Yeah, so my centre backs to go along with that kind of fullback pairing were I was going to have uh, Ledley King, and in the end I. Uh, bottled it on the premise that the two Villa centre-halves that I wanted both played more games during the period and his fitness was just not quite enough to get him in there. So uh, an all-Villa centre-back pairing of Melberg and Martin Larson for me, uh, that is a a centre-back pairing that would not concede many goals. Unfortunately, we often saw Melberg shifted out to right-back when they were at the club, as I say, but yeah, it was very very hard to drop Ledley, I must admit, very hard. Yeah, Larson was a good player. Very good player. Um, something about the Premier League and Scandinavian players, you know, it's the two just seem to, just ever since the beginning of it, seem to just go together so well. Mm. Uh, Great goal right. threat at corners as well. Yeah, entirely. Um, so, I, I guess centre midfield, for me, I've gone um, Gareth Barry and Luka Modric, which is the sort of, it's the perfect blend, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, they, they do make a lot of sense together. I I've, I have gone for Modric. Um, it was a difficult one because I think it's a position where both sides have had quite a lot of talent over the years. In the end, I decided to be slightly more attack-minded with some of the other selections, and so I went for the best kind of the better defensive-minded player during the period for us to go alongside him, which was Stylian Petrov. Because I figured that Barry was actually another. I mean, he could do the job, as I say. You know, you could. He went on to do it brilliant with Manchester City, for example, and, and Everton. But for Villa, Barry was the furthest man forward in that midfield a lot of the time. 
And so I figured that if you're going to have Modric and the kind of the wing players that I was going to pick alongside them, then someone like Petrov to go in around uh, someone that made as many interceptions, didn't have to make tackles, that kind of defensive midfielder, I think it would be, would be really valuable. Yeah, no, I can see definitely see the logic there. Um, I guess so on the uh, right wing, um, I've gone with uh, Aaron Lennon, um, who was absolutely electric uh, under Martignol. Um, you know, should have, for me, should have played every game for England at the 2006 World Cup. He was the player in form, made some really encouraging, you know, appearances off the bench. Um, should have played, honestly, and uh, was on, you know, was just in such a rich vein of form. He just used to terrorise people. There was an FA Cup game um, against Chelsea. Um, I can't quite remember what year it was. It must have been, it must have been like 06, 07 or something around then. And there was an FA Cup game where um, Yole played him as number 10 and he absolutely ripped Chelsea to pieces. It was one of the, you know, most exciting performances by a young player I can remember seeing. And I, th- I think, you know, he was so young when he got his, his break that people almost forget um, now how, how good he was and, and how good he was, like, how recently, you know? I mean, it wasn't so long ago that him and Bale were, you know, ripping Arsenal to shreds in a derby. Um, and I guess his subsequent, you know, problems with mental health and, and gambling and things have kind of... Uh, I, I guess made people forget what a good player he was. But um, yeah, so Aaron Lennon for me, one of my favourite Spurs players of, of this era, no doubt about it. And then on the other side, Ashley Young. As we discussed last time around, Ashley Young was, again, an incredibly exciting young player for Villa. And I always remember the, the game where he scored a last minute winner and O'Neill channeled his inner Brian Clough and ran <laughs> on the pitch and gave him a kiss and called him a genius. Um, yeah. and, and that was one of those really nice moments where you could see the, the Clough influence on O'Neill, which I always liked it when you saw those moments because, you know, it it, it was a nice little link to his sort of, um, what do they call it in America, a coaching tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of him in there. It's just the little twinkle in the eye was very much the same. The sense of humour, the, the approach to man management. Uh, I think if you could flourish under... Under uh, each man, then you, you could really uh, you could really go places. I don't think it was always for everybody. Certainly not for O'Neill, who was quite capable of rubbing some people the wrong way. I, I imagine it was the same for Clough too. It's just a different generation. But yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, I went for Ashley Young too because I think there was the period where he was almost hard to leave out. He might have got into, you know everybody's team for a little while during that period um i very nearly picked exactly the same pairing as you for the wings but at the last minute i pivoted away from aaron lennon who was always in my thinking and went for james milner uh partly sentimental i suspect because he was the favorite player of mine for a lot of this the real creative force could move into the center midfield if you needed to could move into onto the other wing if you needed to fall back he could probably play anywhere on the field he was that good um so yeah i think that's the main reason why i went there what he didn't have was the sheer pace 
of of Lennon. Uh, there was that kind of electric dimension that he that he didn't have. But when you look at the all round skill set, I thought um, he was absolutely brilliant for us, and it was very hard for me to leave him out. Once I decided that I wanted uh, Modric. And I had to take Modric. I did. There's only so far Villa bias will carry you. <laughs> um, I had to take Modric, and then that meant I had to find a place for Milner. And, and because he can play that wing position just as well, yeah, that's what I went for. And so Villa were a team under O'Neill at their best, a, a team of wingers and strikers, if that makes sense. You know, they're kind of old-fashioned in in one regard. Yeah. And if those wingers hadn't been brilliant we wouldn't have got anywhere near where we did for those that, that three, four year spell. So, so yeah, it's um, all Villa wing pairing for me of Milner and Ashley Young. It's tough to leave Milner out because he's been such a good player for such a long time. And, and I do remember when he first got moved into centre midfield uh, by O'Neill and he suddenly just, he was bossing games, absolutely yeah. bossing them. And, and he went, uh, you know, when he went to City, he continued to play in the centre midfield, didn't he really? And, Mm. You know, you almost forget that he was a winger even. Um, mm. But yeah, it was funny as well. They are both both boys from the very, very tail end of that piece of Ridsdale Leeds experience. Yeah. You know? And we we got, um, you know, we got uh, lots of players from the Leeds bargain bin. You know, we got <laughs> Ro- Robbie Keane. We got uh, we got um, Aaron Lennon and we got Danny Rose, you know, all from all from that really so um yeah worked out um, Paul Robinson (laughs) worked out pretty well for us we had an interesting pattern where we um just turned players that we'd had on the wings into central midfielders or number 10s and they just always seemed to work under that that five six year period when when O'Neill came in Gareth Barry was a left winger possibly the slowest left winger in the world but because he had that left foot he could get away with it uh, and so within about a month of O'Neill being in in charge, we'd shifted that around and Gareth Barry was now bossing games in the, in the centre of midfield. And I don't think he's ever been out on the wing for more than about 20 minutes of a game since. Uh, Milner, when we sold Barry, he was, as you say, immediately dropped in, looked like he'd played there all his life. When we sold Milner, Downing. I mean, he didn't move into the centre of midfield, but he moved into playing just off the striker and played some of his best football, which was where Liverpool were persuaded to pay that ludicrous sum of money to us for him. <laughs> of all the transfers you you knew weren't going to work, that was one that uh, I called immediately. I was like, Christ, take that money. Uh, but yeah, so we had a, an odd little knack of doing that and it always seemed to pay off in the long run. Anyway, uh, that just leaves the strikers. Yeah, this is a tough one, really, because I didn't want to be too much for Homer. Uh, it hasn't worried me yet, as you could probably tell. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I'd probably have to say Berbatov and Defoe um, was my was my favourite uh, partnership. They were just brilliant together. I mean, but then it's tough to leave out Robbie Keane. But it's also I had a great deal of affection for for Big John Carew. He's a player that I I loved watching and underrated technical footballer um but i don't know what a, a, a strike partnership of Carew and berbatov would look like really <laughs> so it's like gifted but, but lethargic <laughs> one of the more one of the more unusual i think you'd ever see immobile <laughs> but but you know berbatov uh, is one of those footballers who 
you know, I guess it's he came in at a point where you still didn't see much Bundesliga on British TV. Bulgaria haven't qualified for a major tournament since USA 94. So you hadn't seen him. And it's so rare even then that you just hadn't seen this this new player. And he was just unbelievable from the word go. It was like, you know, you, he was basically, it was like dropping Kansnar into a Spurs team. Like it was that sort of, you know, the arrogance, the touches, the, you know, goals out of nowhere, the elegance. You know, he was just an absolute treat to watch. Um, absolutely lit the pitch up. I, I can't think of a more Spurs player than Berbatov, really. Like for a Spurs fan, that is, the you know, your archetype of a player that you like to watch. And he was just, just unbelievable. Um, and then Defoe was... You know, he was that sort of, not only was he a pure poacher, he, he had this absolute rocket of a shot. He's got so many goals from outside the box. You know, if you imagine like Ian Wright, but he also scored 30-yard bangers. I mean, that's what <laughs> Defoe was. Um, and he was, you know, he's still one of the highest Premier League goal scorers. And that's with, you know, I mean, he got rotated a lot in his Spurs career, you know. Him and Keane didn't always play that many games together. You know, he, they often got kind of um, rotated out. And particularly when Crouch came in, it was kind of one or the other. Um, and it was always a bit um, a bit confusing to me that, because they did play very well. When they did play together, they played together very well. Um, but yeah, to me, the, the, the definitive Spurs partnership of the time was, was definitely Berbatov and Defoe. And that's... Exactly what I've chosen, uh, Berbatov and Defoe. And the reason I, I did is because I sat down to this and you start to think immediately how you're going to approach it. And one of the first things that came to mind is where was I envious of Spurs during that whole period? And I generally wasn't for most of the team, but throughout the whole period, I was looking at Spurs strikers with some envy. And I knew that there would be at least one Spurs player uh, up front. And when I looked at him, I was like, I can't leave either of these these two out. There, there was a run where Agbon Hall looked brilliant, but it wasn't as consistent as how great Defoe was over such a long period of time. There were runs where John Carew looked brilliant, but to be honest, Carew was frustrating as much as he was brilliant. I'm not sure that's as true of Berbatov. Or at least not as true in with a lot of more reasonable fans. You know, there are fans who dislike the fact that he looks so languid and he doesn't sprint about into the channels and do all that stuff but that's not his game it's like holding him to a standard that he's not meant to be measured against whereas the difference between Berbatov and, and Carew is that Carew would probably have always been at a Juventus or whoever if he did what he was capable of every game um, um Berbatov obviously did end up going to those kind of you know played for Man United for however long and it delivered much more often and I think that's ultimately why I ended up having to go with those two as the the ideal partnership. You've got the the all-round striking ability of Defoe along with that mercurial talent of, of Berbatov. And then you can supplement that in my head with the more solid uh, look that I often felt we had, certainly at the back and, and in goal, 
behind the very Spurs-esque kind of axis of uh, of a Modric, Berbatov, Defoe kind of going forward. Yeah, and you know he he, he scored stacks of stacks of goals. Um, you know, both for us and for United. I think people, you know, forget that he wasn't just a um, wasn't just a will o' the wisp by any means. He he, he delivered numbers no. too. Um, and you know, it was still really, really good, even when he went to Fulham after United. Mm. Uh, one uh, thing that is quite interesting about the teams we've picked is that you end up with um, Gareth Bale and Ashley Young down the one flank together. I mean, that could be quite exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And and funny enough, like as Bale went forward in his career, Young was moving back. So at some mm. point, you can basically have that natural thing where Ashley Young kind of drops into left back and and Bale's further forward, but. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, like, uh, Bale's career is one of the most fascinating things. Like the whole uh, winning curse and being homesick, and um, you know, Redknapp not really fancying him, really quite harsh towards him in the press, and then suddenly he gets a bit of confidence. You know, he starts getting a bit of license to to bomb forward. You start seeing what he can do, and then. Before you know it, you got, I mean, what what was for a a period of time the third best player in the world. Um, tr- just an unbelievable ascent, and then the bizarre stagnation in in Madrid, and now, uh, you know, as of the weekend of, of us recording this, um, seems to have hit a bit of form again. Yeah, there's an element of that was likely always going to happen, right? It's when someone does get to be that good and it wasn't all pace or anything which is you which you can lose once you get to be that good it's what's the old saying about form is temporary but class is permanent yeah exactly i mean i, th- I think as soon as you, st- you start seeing you know whipping in those those curling shots from 25 yards you kind of know that that, that you know he's, he's kind of back on song so uh yep so um i think it would have to be uh spurs wales golf madrid in that order now <laughs> yeah indeed yeah so what what does this uh look like in the end i mean i think i've got maybe six five seven five one in favor of villa it depends how we count kyle walker really doesn't it yeah i mean we'll count him as a villa for this exercise i think uh, okay so it's seven to four i've actually got then uh in favor so of villa players what have i got i mean Friedel was playing for villa at this point in time wasn't he so yeah so Friedel, Melberg, Young, Barry. So I've got four. I think I've got four seven as well. Oh, yeah, that's not bad considering that we're both going obviously going to be pretty biased. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to be really strict with myself and make it like six five, but I, I couldn't quite justify career over Defoe. No, no, I, I couldn't. I think I think you have to go if you're going to do it. Carew over Berbatov, and that's an even tougher sell, really, isn't it? Or or um, an Agbon Lahore over Defoe, and that's quite hard. Yeah, you know, I did it. I did love Gabby Agbon Lahore. I, I, he was a player that I loved watching. Um, he had a knack for scoring big goals, which shouldn't be underappreciated. I mean, he was so quick as well. Probably yeah. one of the quickest players I've ever seen. The young winger Gabby Agbon Lahore was like a, a whippet. He was absolutely ludicrous. It's I mean, the only. The only player I've seen that's actually like when you go and watch Olympic sprinting in person, you know, it's the same sort of 
acceleration. It's ludicrous. Obviously, he then had to bulk up to play centre forwards. But for a year or so, he didn't lose too much of the speed. So it was this really great all-rounder. And so you had Ashley Young whipping those balls in towards him. And he was just glancing headers in. And he got into the England side and he just looked mm. brilliant. But as he got that little bit older, that little bit heavier, the pace went. Yeah, yeah, he was a yeah, he was a he was a fun player to watch. I mean, as I've said to you before, like um, you know, Villa have always been a a second or a third English club to me, so mm. <laughs> I've always always had a lot of affection for them. Yeah, and they were an easy side to like for a couple of years there. I mean, obviously the last ten years we've tested that for a lot of people, but I think we're uh, we're we're getting back there now. No, quite. I mean, particularly for as long as you keep uh, as long as you keep Jack, then uh, you'll always be a lot yeah. of fun to watch. Indeed. Well, that kind of wraps us up, I guess. Yeah. Thanks to everyone for, for listening. I don't know if uh, we're back to normal service next week. We may be back with the Dogs of War. We may have some more of this kind of thing. Let us know if you like uh, what we've been doing. You've been listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at 4ATBpod. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts by rating and subscribing so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. See you next week.